Hello, and thank you for listening to the Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal podcast. The Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal is co-sponsored by the Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators and the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics. My name is Eva Thanheiser, and today I'm talking with Natasha Gerstenschlager from Western Kentucky University and Angela Barlow from the University of Central Arkansas. We will be discussing an article they published with many co-authors titled Double Demonstration Lesson, Authentically Participating in an Increased Stance, published in the February 2021 issue of the Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal. We will begin by summarizing the main points of the article and discuss in more depth the lessons they shared in the article, their successes and challenges, and how these lessons relate to their work. Natasha and Angela, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us on. So let's just jump in. Can you give us a brief summary of the article, including the results? Absolutely. In our article, we present an innovation that we are calling the double demonstration lesson. And that is a modified demonstration lesson structure. And we are presenting it as a tool that folks can use in their professional development for mathematics teacher. So in our article, we describe exactly what we mean by a double demonstration lesson, as well as providing an example of one. Then we share the results from our research that indicate that the double demonstration lesson structure can be used to provide opportunities for mathematics teachers to practice the skills and mindset associated with what Farmer and his colleagues call an inquiry stance toward teaching. Okay, that sounds interesting. I can't wait to like learn more about the innovation in a few questions, but let's get started by who should read this article? Well, we would love it if everyone read our article, but we imagine that it's most beneficial for those who are working with teachers in professional development opportunities. We recognize that professional development opportunities look a variety of ways. Some are year-long projects, some are multi-year, and some are much smaller in scale. And the great thing about the double demonstration lesson that we're presenting is that it can be utilized in any of those settings since it's something that takes only one day to kind of cycle through. So this makes the double demonstration lesson applicable to all different types of PD settings. So we're hoping that folks who are working with teachers on their professional learning will read our article and learn from it. So just to briefly summarize, anybody who's doing professional development could benefit from reading this article. Absolutely. All right. So what is the problem that you're the problem of practice that you're addressing in this article? To answer that question, I want to back up a little bit and share a bit about the context in which this work was done. So we were leading a, it turned out to be a six-year professional development project. And at this point, we were about three years in, I believe. And one primary piece of the project was to have demonstration lessons. And so, and I kind of said lessons, so I'm going to say that again. (laughs) One primary part of the project was to have demonstration lessons. And uh, if you're not familiar with that, a demonstration lesson is, it's a model for professional development where teachers come together and they have the opportunity to observe a lesson live And it is combined with the opportunity to talk about the lesson beforehand and after. So beforehand, we talk about briefing the lesson. 
we might describe to teachers what's going to happen or what we anticipate to happen or things to look for. Then they watch the lesson. And then afterwards, we have a debriefing where we then talk about what we saw. So we were very accustomed to doing demonstration lessons in our project. And what began to stand out to us as the professional development team is what we were noticing and talking about and, you know, just going, wow, that's so cool. Did you see that? Our ideas were very different from what our teachers were seeing. So the example we share in the article, we did a lesson where we were looking at how students were interpreting the remainder in a division problem with fractions. And so we were sort of blown away by their ideas around that fraction and those representations. And in contrast, the teachers were, you know, really just paying attention to some of the teacher moves. So oftentimes teachers will say things like, I like how you randomly called on students. Or the example in the article is that they really didn't like that we didn't always tell the answer or confirm the answer for students. And so their attention was focused on the teacher moves, which that's fine. I mean, that plays a role in what we're doing, but to meet our project goals of developing this deeper vision about how the tasks that we engage our students in impact their learning opportunities and so forth. We just weren't getting there. And so that's where it led to our problem of practice. And that problem is stated in the journal as how do we create opportunities within these professional development projects for teachers to experience an inquiry stance towards teaching so that teachers can develop sustained changes in their practice. And, you know, originally when we looked at this, we did not have the words like inquiry stance. We were looking at it going, why are our ideas of a different flavor than what our teachers were seeing? And so it was through reading the literature that we actually gained the vocabulary that we needed and the thought processes for helping us to think about it in terms of an inquiry stance. Could you explain for people who might not know what an inquiry stance is, what you mean by that? Yeah, I can answer that question. And then if Angela wants to jump in afterwards, that's great too. So our work as Angela was saying, draws heavily on this levels of appropriation. And that's presented first by Farmer, Gerritsen, and Lassick. And so those researchers describe ways in which one can provide teachers with opportunities to practice what's called an inquiry stance. And so those researchers were looking at ways teachers appropriate knowledge specifically from professional development. And they found that teachers do that in three ways a practitioner stance, a professional stance, and an inquiry stance. The inquiry stance is characterized by teachers recognizing that they can learn from the process of teaching. So these different stances, teachers may engage in all of them at particular times. They may cycle through them at different parts in their lives, and all of them play a part in our role as teachers But what Angela and uh, the rest of the folks on the team realized is that our goal was we wanted our teachers to really recognize the lesson as an opportunity for learning about ways to progress students in their mathematical thinking and not necessarily just focusing on, like Angela was describing, the particular teacher moves that we like and we want to go back and implement tomorrow. So is the inquiry stance... If I understand correctly what you're saying, it means that the teachers approach 
teaching as way of also learning. And I'm kind of curious what the learning would focus on. Is it about the math, how children think, everything, something else? In terms of thinking about the inquiry stance, it is about learning from your own teaching. And as I was reflecting over all of this work in preparation for talking to you today, I was thinking about how as the professional development team, we were constantly practicing an inquiry stance with the demonstration lessons because we typically, well, we would draft a lesson, a lesson plan. We would go into a classroom and teach it for practice just to see how students would react to the task or what ideas might be elicited or what scaffolding we might need to put in place so that they'd have access to the task. And then we'd come back and we would tweak the task. And then we would teach it in front of some of our teachers because this project had like at its heyday, 156 K-8 teachers in it. So, you know, we might have a group of 30 or 60 and we would teach it in front of them. We'd come back and, and learn from that process and make adjustments and then go in and teach it for the other half of the teachers. And so we had this opportunity to learn from our practice and what we were seeing is that our teachers were not having that opportunity. So they would see a lesson and think of it as an exemplar that they could take back and emulate it into their classroom. And it was perfect. It didn't have to be questioned and so forth. And that really wasn't what we were after. And in terms of what they could learn from it, a lot of our attention was on either the scaffolding that went into place, like how the warm-up, whatever it might be, would situate the learners for gaining access to the task, or a lot of the attention was being given to the task itself and how was the task functioning in such a way as to elicit student thinking and then also advance them with their thinking. Did that answer your question? I think it did. So let me see if I can rephrase. So, okay. so you said one chance that you as the PD providers had is you would create a PD, you would implement it, then you would tweak it a little, then you would implement it with a different group, and you would get to learn about how to implement your PD. But your teachers that participated didn't get that experience because they only saw a lesson implemented once and mm -hmm. they didn't get a chance to see if I tweak this, what would happen. So potentially the inquiry stance could then be described if one steps back a little to say, so I have this whole lesson and what would happen if I change this or if I change this? All right. And this leads us really nicely into the question about the innovation. So will you describe what your innovation is? So, and it's really interesting because the same teachers who were early in the project giving us, you know, responses like, I like this or I don't like that. It was one of those teachers, Juliana, which is a pseudonym who's featured in the article, who said, you know, I would really like to see you, she, she was talking to me because typically I was the one teaching the lessons. She said, I would really like to see you teach this lesson again and see if what we're talking about would 
have an influence on the outcome of the lesson. And in that moment, like I have this visual, like I can see it right then, like all of our light bulbs went off and we said, yes, we could do. And we called it a double demonstration lesson, like immediately. And, you know, being a bunch of women, we laughed and called it a double D and <laughs> said, oh, let's do this. And so that was in the fall. So we said, okay, in the spring, we're going to do double D lessons or double demonstration lessons. And let's see what happens. And so that was the beginning of our innovation of the double demonstration lesson. And so really what it is, is the teachers in the initial briefing, right? So they're told up front you will have the opportunity to make recommendations on how to change this lesson. So they get a copy of the lesson plan. They talk about what students might struggle with or how they might respond. And then we go into the initial teaching of the lesson. And so far, nothing has changed from a regular demonstration lesson, except that they're viewing it knowing there will be an opportunity to change the lesson. So then after the first teaching, the group comes together and they talk about things that they saw in the lesson and they make suggestions on how to change the lesson. Now, we do have to be mindful that if they suddenly wanted, you know, I don't know, snap cubes or something and we didn't have those in that day, we wouldn't be able to make those that particular change. So it has to be within reason, but they would make suggestions and then we would alter the lesson plan and we would have another group of kids come in and so a second teaching of this modified lesson would occur and they would have the opportunity to see what the impact of their suggested changes are and then we have our second and final debrief at the end of that and they have the opportunity to talk about how those changes impacted the lesson or not or how they change the learning and so forth. So that's what we call a double demonstration lesson. And again, it's basically a repeat of the demo lesson, but with the opportunity to change it in the middle and see how that influences the learning. And in some ways, it's sort of akin to like a lesson study cycle. If if readers or listeners are familiar with lesson study, it is similar to that, but it's very different in the sense that the teachers are not involved on the front end in terms of planning the lesson. So that's done by us as the professional development team. Whereas in a lesson study, you know, they would identify something that they're interested in focusing on and they would research and develop their lesson. And then the other primary difference I would point out is that it occurs all in one day, whereas lesson study typically occurs over an extended period of time because they take more time in between the different teachings of the lessons to really investigate student learning and how to change the lesson and so forth. So it's similar to lesson study, but not exactly the same. All right. I have a few quick follow-up questions and then some <laughs> deeper follow-up questions. If the lesson is repeated, is that with a different group of children? It is with a different class. And so we okay. would have to, as a part of setting up that day, we would contact teachers in our project and we'd say, okay, we need a pair of y'all. And so typically there'd be two teachers, same grade level, um, and we would teach one class in the morning and then one class in the afternoon. Could you give us a quick insight into what a goal of one of those demonstration lessons might be? So we have one where we were focusing in on looking at the structure of mathematics represented within a problem and the pedagogical piece that came out of it, and I alluded to this earlier, was the role that the 
warm-up played in hmm. gaining access to the mathematics for that one. We have another one where it was seeing division or seeing the fraction as representing division. So it's a chocolate sharing task and students have the opportunity to investigate and represent that and think about how a fraction represents division. Uh, so it's a variety of mathematical goals. Often we picked lessons that could just kind of be dropped in. So we don't try to sequence them with what's happening in the classrooms before and after. We just drop in with uh, key ideas. Pedagogically, again, we focus in on like what about the task or the questions around the task or discussion of the mathematical ideas are there so that teachers are focusing in on those as they watch the lesson. So one of the things that I found very powerful that you shared in the article and in your story is that you listened to your participants. I think that's a very powerful move, no matter whether you're teaching or researching, to kind of mm -hmm. listen to and take ideas up. I experienced that in my own research where my people I worked with said something and I was like, oh, that's a good idea. Let me do that. So I, that's really powerful. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, along those lines, Ava, I'll say that like the year before we did the double demonstration lessons, what we were hearing the teachers say, so they would watch a demonstration lesson and they would say, well, what would you do the next day? So they were always concerned about what would be the follow up to the lesson. So the year prior to this, we did what we call day two lessons. So we would go to a school, teachers would not be there, it would just be the host teacher that day, and we would teach a lesson and video it. And then we'd come back in the next day, and this is when our participants would show up, we'd show them video from the first day, and then we'd talk about what would you do the next day, and then we would teach the day two lesson. Well, that was really interesting, it was a lot of work on our part to have to do all that and video edit and stuff. And then we started doing the double demonstration lessons a year later in response to what they said. And what was really interesting is that the day two lessons never really took off. So although they had asked for those and benefited from seeing them, they really didn't continue talking about them in a way that would want us to continue doing it. But these double demonstration lessons as soon as we, you know, we would finish a round where we've taught three or four different sets of these so that all teachers get the opportunity to participate, like they were ready to do it again. And then a couple of years later, we rearranged the project so that they got to choose what types of professional development they wanted and they led it in their school-based teams. And almost every school-based team did double demonstration lessons. So to me, it's not only about responding to their needs, but seeing how they take up those ideas and they saw the benefit in those. And so it was a very powerful moment when we started seeing all of these teachers go back to their schools and on their own accord, they were doing double demonstration lessons which was, that's so neat to me, you know. That, so that's it, amazing. Yeah. It seems a very powerful, what you mentioned earlier, that before the first lesson, they would know that they could make suggestions that then would be changed in the second one. I'm assuming that that changes the way you participate in observing the lesson. Absolutely. Because now the conversation in between, you know, in a normal demonstration lesson, you know, the lesson is done, it's over. 
And so now we're going to talk about, we tend to talk about things that we liked or we didn't like, or maybe some questions that are generated. But now if it's, we know we're about to see it again and we're contributing to that lesson, like everything changes. And it's about putting out your idea about what what you think should be changed. It's about justifying that. And what are you using from the lesson to just, so they had to collect data, right? From the lesson and the student work to be able to say, well, I noticed this. And as a result, I'm thinking we should try this. And so that's a very different conversation. Angela, I want to chime in. I think it's important to mention that we primed them for that, right? We asked Mm -hmm. them to focus in on making those changes beforehand. So they went into that first observation of the lesson, knowing that they were going to make those changes. And they were looking for opportunities where they could push the lesson in such a way that it developed students thinking Um, towards the mathematical goal, whatever it was for that particular lesson. So I'm just curious really quickly, did it happen sometimes that the second lesson did not go as well as you thought? (laughs) (laughs) This goes to some of the challenges that we encountered with this. And there's two challenges related to that that I'll share very quickly. One is particularly when we were working with teachers that were in the lower elementary grade levels, their changes that they would propose were often limited to classroom management things. And so it wasn't that the lesson didn't go well, you know, the second lesson didn't go well, it went well, but their changes didn't have an impact on the learning that occurred. So that was a really interesting outcome for them to think about and talk about in terms of what they had changed in the lesson. And then the other challenge that we had is at one point we did an eighth grade lesson and we were at a school where those classes were tracked. And so we had one class that was on grade level and one class that was considered honors or advanced or something. And in that instance, any differences that we saw in terms of student learning, it was attributed to student ability and yeah. not to the not to the actual lesson. So, you know, that's why in the article we talk about the need to make sure that you have two classes that are are pretty close to being the same. Yeah. So that, that the differences sense. in learning are related to the lesson and not necessarily not to student ability. I mean, we try to talk about with our teachers about let's not focus on student ability, let's focus on what's happening in this moment and and all the different ideas and things. But that was a hard conversation to have because they kept coming back to, well, these are the high kids. And we were like, no, stop. So those are the challenges that we did have. So let's get a little bit more into the research piece. I think we understand the innovation now. And there is a very nice picture in the article for the listeners who want to see more that like lays out the structure. So now let's talk about evidence for that shows that this works. So what, like, maybe you could repeat the research questions and then how did you answer those? You know, it's interesting because the question is, how does the, how do you know this works? And that was part of our problem was what does it mean for it to work? And even, and we talk about this a little bit in the article that even as this went through the review process and everybody's tendency is to think, okay, you have some teachers, 
You go through the double demonstration lesson where they get to practice an inquiry stance. So in order to say it works, it must be that they walk out of there with an inquiry stance. And so there was this sincere desire among the reviewers and all to take this and think about it from an inquiry stance perspective. And we tried. We tried to collect data and answer that question. And it turns out, and we talk about this in the article, that you just, you can't really do it. And by it, say with absolute certainty what a teacher's stance is. And that's because, as Natasha said earlier, they can hold all three stances simultaneously. And the challenge is just, it's too big, particularly in this small setting, to try to do that. So we had to reframe our thinking about our research question. And where we settled is in what we first noticed. When we first started doing this, we were like, wow, that conversation after, you know, at the end of the double demonstration lesson is so different from the conversation we had after a regular demonstration lesson. Like that's the first thing we noticed. So we then framed a research question around that idea and set out to do more double demonstration lessons and answer it. So the question really for us became, how do the debriefing conversations compare when you're looking at the debriefing conversation from a double demonstration lesson and comparing that to the debriefing of a what we would say a traditional demonstration lesson. And so our evidence is couched under like two broad areas. And that is what did the teachers attend to during? So in the debriefs, what are they talking about? What aspects of the lesson are they attending to? And then what are they questioning? And so in the demonstration, in a traditional demonstration lesson, the things that they were attending to came across as evaluative. And we've said that previously, like statements along the lines of, I like this, I don't like that. And then they were questioning the instructor's decision. So the teacher who's teaching the lesson, why did you do this? Why did you do that? And when we compare that to the double demonstration lesson, we see that instead attending to being evaluative, they are attending by saying, you know, let's look at how this lesson impacted student learning. And the things they're questioning are around the lesson changes. So that's the evidence that we sought to share in the article. And again, it's in response to how do these debriefing conversations compare? Okay, that makes sense. So if you had to characterize what is your new contribution to the field of math education, what would you say? I think that this double demonstration lesson really provides a great opportunity for all of those who are engaged in the professional learning of teachers. So the fact that this is something that can be done in a day, it's not lengthy like like lesson study, traditional lesson study is. It's something that anybody can do, whether you have a large funded grant or you're just working with um, the few teachers that you have access to. You know, we haven't seen a double demonstration lesson the way we've done it in the literature. I don't know of other folks who have tried that. So, you know, we are certainly hoping that other people decide to implement this when they're working with teachers. And I think that that's the new thing we want people to take away from this manuscript. Wow. This is like, I was so excited to read this because I am also involved in professional development and we've been doing something that is somewhat similar to your initial setup. 
And so reading about the double demonstration lesson was really a very interesting. So thank you so much for publishing this. And I would like to close out by just asking an open question. Is there anything else you would like to add before we close out? One thing that I want to highlight that Angela mentioned earlier that really just resonated with me when I was working with this team is when we gave teachers the opportunity to pick their professional learning, they picked this. And I think that that really demonstrates how powerful this idea of the double demonstration lesson is. The other thing I'd like to add, Ava, is just that we, Natasha and I are part of a very large team of people who were so fortunate to be together at a moment at an institution. And now some of us are in very different places, but it was a wonderful team and we are not the only two that contributed to this work. So I want to acknowledge our co-authors and I also want to acknowledge our teachers because as you noticed very early on, the development of this innovation was in response to their ideas. So again, Natasha and I are just two of many people who made this happen. And we are thrilled to have the opportunity to not only share it in the journal, but also to share it through this podcast. Well, thank you both so much for coming on. It's an honor. We really appreciate the opportunity. We were both very excited. For further information on this topic, you can find the article on the Math Teacher Educator website. This has been your host, Ava Thenheiser. Thank you for listening and goodbye.